Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Cool Hand Grace podcast. Each week, we are exploring a biblical passage or topic, offering insight and application, and seeking to point us to hope and direction for our lives. We also have devotional interactive questions for each podcast ideal for small groups. I'm Pastor Kurt Witzig, and on behalf of the College Ministry at Duluth Bible Church, welcome. Today, on the Cool Hand Grace podcast, we are going to talk a little bit about how Mother's Day actually can be a difficult day for women. But the solution to this is not only for mothers, but also for others, for all of us. So don't tune out as I suspect our talk today will be encouraging for all of us. I have heard that Mother's Day can be hard for some ladies. Women who cannot have children. Women who have had a miscarriage. Women who are single moms and feeling overwhelmed. Others who have complicated relationships with their mother. Or women who feel they have not been great moms. With all of this, the day can get complicated real fast. So many scenarios out there. How do you go about honoring mothers on Mother's Day and avoid offending them? Well, let's try and do it this way on this podcast. And I'm hoping that you will see that this is not just for mothers, not at all, but it's for all of us. And we can all find encouragement too. So I'm going to share a list, and all of it can apply to every believer, every listener that's a Christian. The list is uh, oriented, more oriented for mothers, but you can modify the items to suit you, male or female, mom or not. So, mothers, you are not condemned because you do not have the virtuous woman's home or organization. You are not condemned by your messy house. You are not condemned by failing to count it all joy when you are criticized. You are not condemned by your lack of desire to homeschool. You're not condemned by your personal sins that plague you. You're not condemned because you can't seem to shake the funk that you have been in. You are not condemned by the difficulty of caring for a child with special needs. You're not condemned by how easy it is to love one child more than another. You're not condemned because you are inwardly bummed out when you see someone else succeed. You're not condemned because your husband heaps emotional abuse upon you. You are not condemned because you're, you have this lack of desire, perhaps, to have more kids. And you're not condemned by your lack of desire to adopt. And you're not condemned when you feel inadequate as you read about another's perfect parenting moment on Facebook. You're not condemned by your inability to cook. You're not condemned by your ongoing struggle with an addiction. You're not condemned because your kids are not, quote, normal, unquote. You're not condemned because you are divorced or unmarried and now doing it alone. You are not condemned by your desire to be alone and away from the kids for a little while, even every day, just a while. And you are not condemned by your body, which is not what it once was. And you're not condemned by your rebellious children. 
You're not condemned by your past abortion. You're not condemned by all the fears and tears which take you to the edge of despair. You're not condemned by your feeling inadequate when at work or not facing, uh, when you're not facing work pressures appropriately. You're not condemned by not being able to throw the birthday party of the year for your kids. And you're not condemned for not feeding your kids homemade meals whose ingredients all come from the Whole Foods Co-op. And you're not condemned by having pangs of jealousy when another woman is flirtatious with your husband. You're not condemned by the volcanic eruption of your kids in the grocery store. You're not condemned by any of those things, not one. So you do not need to feel that inward tug or pull, those feelings that come with it. What is condemnation? Condemnation is when you feel you're stuck and you're never going to be good enough and you're never going to be able to do enough and you're always a perpetual favor. And there's emotions that go with this condemnation, namely shame and guilt. So how is it you cannot be condemned for any of those things? How can that be? Well, let me explain. We all begin in Adam by physical birth. We are thereby attached to his identity and his sin and his condemnation. This is our spiritual position as God would see us before him. In fact, Romans 5.12 tells us, if, I'd love if you would look these verses up, read them with me. Um, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. One man, that's Adam. And Coming through him, sin enters the world, and then death comes as a penalty of that sin, and physical death then is, is his due. And God sent Jesus Christ, called the last Adam, to fix what went wrong here. So a few verses later in Romans 5, 16, we read, And the gift, speaking of what Christ has done, the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. Two verses later, Romans 5.18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, that's Adam, it resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification. So here we see condemnation, justification condemnation, justification. Jesus is the new Adam, and his one righteous act brings justification, the possibility of it, to those who are in Adam and are under condemnation. Condemnation is to be judged. And so we have a judgment upon us because we're in Adam and because we've all sinned. We're identified with his sin, and death is upon us. But we then can no longer be in Adam. As Jesus came and he died on the cross, taking on the penalty of our sin, death, for all who are in Adam, everyone. And then by putting our faith in Jesus Christ and his death on our behalf, his resurrection, this brings justification. And that word means to be declared righteous. God says you are declared righteous. You actually then have a new birth in Christ and a new identity, a Christ one or Christian. And so in Christ, notice you share what Christ shares. Jesus is accepted by the Father. So are you in him. Jesus is the beloved of the Father, and so are you in him. Jesus is righteous, and so are you 
in him. Jesus is heir as a son. He is the heir. And so are you, the Bible says. We are joint heirs with him. Jesus has resurrection life now and forever, and so do you right now and forever have that life, spiritual life. Jesus is seated in the heavenlies at the right hand of God, and Ephesians 2 says, so are you together with him in the heavenlies. So you are no longer in Adam when you believed in Christ, but you are in Christ. And that means you're forgiven. And we have righteousness. We have a newness of life. And all things have become new. Old things have passed away. We are now his child. And our sin, that's been punished. Our sin, that's been dealt with. Our sin, that's been removed as far as the east is from the west. And instead, we are no longer in Adam. We are in Christ. And position and identity is there. And we are in a place of love. As you are, your God loves you as you are, with all your baggage and sins. You know that list up above we talked about, all those things? You're loved with all of those still. We're not perfect in our practice, far from it, but boy, we are perfect in our position spiritually in Christ before God. And he wants us to get comfortable with this new spiritual reality and attach ourselves to him and know who we are in Christ and how he loves you and provided this. So we tend to put labels on ourselves as if we were still an Adam. Loser, can never get it right, never seeming to meet the expectations. But the label It's not true because you're not in Adam. You are in Christ. And now you have new labels. And it's very wise for us to learn what those are and allow those new labels and how God sees us to let that shape our life as Christians. This is not for mothers only. No, no, no. Or just women. This is true for every single Christian believer in Christ. And how did this happen? It happened when we, by faith, put our trust in Jesus Christ and how he died for us and tasted our death and paid for our sin and he's now alive and he's offering life. Faith is to be persuaded and God would want to persuade you to put your faith in him. But notice what he says in John three sixteen through 18, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Powerful promise. But in verse 17, John goes on, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Notice, not to condemn the world. Now, verse 18, He who believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because He has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. We are condemned before the Lord when we do not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. So when you believe you're no longer an Adam, you now are born anew in Christ, no longer condemned. But if you do not believe, you remain in Adam, the place of condemnation and eternal death. So the time is now, friends. Make that shift. God will transfer you from one realm to the other when you put your faith that what Christ did for you was enough, that God absolutely loves you and he wants you, and you put your trust in him, and you will find yourself new life in Christ. Notice closely in this passage, though, what condemns us. It's not anything on the list of things we went over earlier. Not one. What condemns us is our own choice to not believe in Jesus and therefore receive the gift of life in him. That's what condemns us. So why would I call, do we have what would I call the condemnation headache? 
You know, we mention all those things and we feel the sense that we'll never be good enough. We never seem to be able to do enough. We can never seem to overcome things. And this seems like it's always going to be this way. I'm stuck. And then we apply then labels to ourselves. And with that comes emotions of guilt and shame. You know, the Mother's Day blues. So how do we get to this low point? What happens when you apply condemnation to yourself? You know, anytime you drink the Kool-Aid of shame, your heart will be poisoned with bitterness towards yourself. You will be plagued with this disease of negative self-talk and believing you're unforgivable and unlovable. And this heaviness descends and with it comes these emotions of shame and guilt too. Where does this condemnation headache, where does it come from? What causes it? Well, the most obvious and prevalent source is legalism. One author calls it performacism. Let's look at a few ways of kind of different angles of describing legalism and see if we catch it. Legalism is trying to live up to a standard, whether it's God's standards or a denomination standards or your church's standards or your own standards, but whether it, whatever they are, you get the oughts. I ought to do this. I ought to do that. I should be doing this and so forth. We want to meet these standards. Legalism, though, says your Christian life is only as good as the present day's actions. Legalism is elevating obedience to the level of or even above grace in terms of its value for our lives. Legalism is a mechanistic approach to my relationship with God. Do this or say this and get that. Legalism is living by the knowledge of good and evil instead of living by life and love within a relationship there. Legalism is doing good stuff for God while bypassing the power of God. And that really is the essence of what we're going to see now in Romans chapter 7. That's where Paul was, trying to do good stuff for God, but bypassing the power of God. Notice in Romans 7, Paul's going to start out saying, you know, the law is good. I love the law. I have good desires. I have good intentions. I want to please the Lord. But the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, that's what I do. And I'm frustrated. And he says, the things I want to do, I have the desire, but I don't seem to have the ability to pull it off. And I feel like I'm in a cycle of failure. Romans 7, verse 24, he concludes. He says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Notice the description he gives. Wretched means miserable. I'm defeated. Who will, who will deliver me? Who will rescue me? Who will, uh, I, I feel powerless. I need a power outside of myself. He's got a condemnation headache to the max. He just feels so low and overwhelmed. And he has feelings and emotions of failure and guilt and shame. But you know, God never intends us as believers to live there. Emotions are like the dashboard lights on our car. Remember, they, they give us warning and they, they should cause us to connect with the Lord. And you know what? Paul does just that. We'll see that in a moment. But first, let's note how legalism vacuums the joy out of a room, and Paul is in this wretched state. And the thinking here that causes us to get here is that we are trying to live up to these standards. We're trying to fulfill expectations. We're trying to please God, as Paul was in Romans 7. But if we don't, we get the sense then that God is upset with us. We're disappointing him. It's, we, we should be beyond this by now. Why aren't we getting above and moving on? And the issue in life then is keeping standards and avoiding bumming God out. 
And so I need to be aware of my sin and manage it. It makes sin the issue to have less of it, to overcome it. The issue then is to sin less and to crank out some more good and so forth. But at the end of the day, when it's all summed up, is it the absence of sin that pleases God? Is that the issue? What is the point of it all? It's fruit. Fruit is what brings glory to God. John 15, Jesus talked about that. We abide in him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And the parable of the four soils talks about how, again, the four soil is the one that brings forth fruit, that fruitfulness comes out and comes through us, and that brings glory to God, John 15 says. That honors the Lord. That is, uh, is, uh, is of God. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It has life. It comes from life. It comes from God, and only he can do it. So having less sin, you know, look, he was only partially lustful. Look, she only lied a little bit. Ah, see, notice, he was only somewhat self-righteous. And that's what we celebrate? They have some sort of only some sin? Way to go. Less sin. You were only partially or you're less repugnant to a holy God. No. The issue in our life is not having less sin. The issue, the desire, is to have fruit on display. For God to produce fruit through us, and the glory of God comes through that. That's what only he can do, and he can only do it in us and through us. As we learn to cooperate by faith with who we are in him and what he can do through us, fruit comes out of that. And it's fruit that will be praised on the last day. It is what he accomplished through us that is noted. For fruit to come about, it implies there's no sin. Actually, remember Galatians 5.16 reminds us, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if there's fruit, we know that you're walking in the Spirit. So you will obviously, with fruit, have not have that sin while that fruit is being produced by the power of God through us. However, we can have less sin and be moral and have no fruit. So this is true of many moral people around the world who are not Christians nor would even want to be, but they may live some outwardly moral exemplary lives. But it is not the fruit of the Spirit that's being produced through them because they do not have the Spirit. Now, what makes the Christian distinguished then from other people who are not Christians is not less sin or relative morality. It is Jesus Christ present inside of you and I. And Jesus then is producing his life outward through you and I. And the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and gentleness and patience. And so these things are done by the Lord, and he gets the glory as they are produced in our life. Now, we need to note that legalism vacuums the joy out of a room, as Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. It encourages us to take inventory of our sin, to be evaluating our sinfulness, and to try harder to sin less or manage it. And the result is then in a corresponding sense of shame, or because of the struggle, we may not be doing that very well or having problems with that. And we re obtain a condemnation headache. And therefore, we feel sin has to be hidden and covered up and kept under. And, and, and therefore, we have to hide that. So how do I get out of this, this perpetual rut? I have these emotions, the warning lights. I'm wretched. I'm miserable. I'm, these emotions are, 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 are there. And remember, as warning lights, the emotions tell us to connect. 
And look what Paul does. He connects with God in the very next verse. He says in Romans 7.25 how there is hope. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So with the mind I serve the law of God. I have the desires, but with the flesh, the law of sin, I have the failure. But I have hope. Thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he's going to reorientate our thinking as he gets into Romans chapter 8 and to see how the Spirit of God is going to do and accomplish what he couldn't do. So that's how we get unstuck. That's how the, the condemnation headache, that's how we cannot have it anymore. We can realize in Romans 8.1, this simple verse that Paul says right after, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, there is therefore now, right now, friends, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you are in Christ as a believer in him, that is your identity and your position. And God has given you labels appropriate for that. And in that state and in that position, there is no condemnation. <clears throat> you are not perpetually stuck. And that's a promise and that's a fact that we are to understand. God wants to persuade us as the Holy Spirit is working in and through us to trust and rely on these truths. Because this is exactly what Jesus Christ secured. The cross is ground zero for us in the Christian life as well as it was for us when we got saved, first tense. You see, we look back at the cross, we see that the cross is ground zero for our salvation from the penalty of sin. We got forgiveness, we're no longer going to hell, we're born again. And the same cross is ground zero for our new life as we were co-crucified with Christ. There we were buried with him and there we have new life with him. That same cross means we can walk in a new position with a new identity and we are, have salvation from the condemnation headache. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 puts it this way. If then you were raised with Christ, and as a believer you were, uh, you are raised with him in newness of life, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your, now, your new life now is hidden with Christ in God. Now that's truth for us to plant our feet on. So what about all those things that are true or that we mentioned earlier? What if they're true? Well, that is not who you are. And that is not who, who God says the labels fit to you at all. You are in Christ. You see, you are not what you do. You are seen as how God labels you, and God labels you as in Christ and forgiven and accepted and loved. And Jesus, therefore, has stepped in for any and all sin, and it's been forgiven. And so God isn't just being lenient. No, leniency. This isn't just fluffy love. Grace is the unmerited favor of a non-lenient God. His non-leniency was put upon Jesus Christ. Christ suffered and died for the, for the sins of the world, and God's justice was rightfully put upon him, and his justice and his wrath was carried out and absorbed on Christ, and therefore the payment has been paid. So you can now say, Lord, I am who you say I am. And may I learn to apply the right labels upon myself because I am in Christ. I am a Christ one and I am who you say I am. So we've seen the answer to how do I no longer have a condemnation headache? It's by faith to know what God says about who you are and to know that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And therefore, I don't have to be stuck over and over and over and over feeling the frustration of sin and the failure and the pangs and have these emotions and a whole, I have a whole new life and a potential to learn to walk 
in him. So as I let's if I struggle with any of those things, may we allow those emotions to be like the the uh, the light, the warning light, and connect with God. And how do we connect? We connect by faith. Boy, does God, the Lord, give us things to connect with. Um, as we see in Romans uh, chapter 8, just a little bit later in our chapter uh, of Romans 8.1, Paul reminds us in verse 31, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? These are rhetorical questions. If God, if God is for us, who can be against us? Answer, no one. And if he didn't, didn't even spare his own son, he delivered him up for us all, then how shall he not then give us freely all things? He will. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? No one. It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen, who is even at the right hand of God and who makes intercession for us. He's like our advocate, as we'll see. Who can be against you if God is for you? God is for you and God is with you, and God loves all of us. Those who are in him are beloved and have that cherished relationship. In 1 John chapter 2, we, we ask, well, look, okay, this is true. I'm going to walk by faith. I can move forward now as I recognize my position and my identity, seeing these truths, putting my faith in them, but I'm still going to fail. What happens when I fail? Then what? Well, we just saw 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, picks up what Paul was mentioning in Romans 8. He says, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. There's hope. But if you do, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He stands by you. He is with you. He is for you. And no one can condemn you. He pleads and makes intercession. And the advocate is like a defense attorney as he explains what he did for that sin. And then it goes on in John, 1 John 2, 2, that he himself, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So God is satisfied. His justice was rightfully carried out and sins have now been paid in full. It is finished. So God is not angry with the believer in Christ. You become his beloved child, and you stand in relationship with him in Christ, and he sees you as he sees Christ. So walk in that light. By faith, remember how you are fully forgiven. Sin is not the issue, and the Lord would like you to cooperate with him by faith and allow him then to produce fruit and fruitfulness through you that glorifies him. And so that's how we can move on in our Christian life. I'm reminded of the story of the woman taken in adultery where the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus and, and ask him a question and trick him and so forth. And Jesus um, outsmarted them and said, hey, whoever's thrown the first, whoever has sinned, uh, not sinned, you can throw the first stone. As they took this woman who was deserving of being stoned to death uh, for the sin that she was caught in, and they all left. The point is this, as Jesus then rises up and he says, where are your accusers? Is there anyone who condemns you? She said, no one. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more in John 8, verses 10 and 11. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Notice the order. No condemnation. No separation from God's love. No exhaustion of God's grace. So go in light of that and who you are in that truth. And if that gets a hold of you, if that gets lodged in your mind, how God sees you, what he's done for you, how would that then motivate you 
The love of Christ, 1 Corinthians 5 reminds us, compels us. We have this new freedom, this new lease on life. We are in him, and that is designed to then compel us, and it changes us. This is all totally relational. You see, you are his child. Think of a child who's maybe afraid in the night, a bad dream or a thunderstorm, and they come into your room, and they climb in bed, and they're afraid. What parent would scold them? Yay, you're anxious and fearful. Stop. That is not, that's sin. You don't trust me. No, 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 no. The parent soothes the child, comforts them, reassures them, loves them, and eventually the child is reassured and can move on in their thinking in life. And this, this, the, the child comes because they know the parent and they know what to expect. Acceptance and comfort, words of assurance and truth, and all of this leads to a heart's desire in the child to adhere to the parent's wishes. And the child is strengthened enough there to return to their own room and to move on. And God, friends, if you're saved, he is your parent. And you know what you get when you go to him. Uh, Hebrews uh, 4 is a wonderful promise, verse 16, to boldly come to the throne of grace and receive grace and help to, in time of need. Wow. Condemnation then. That can slap our hands and shame us and shame our behavior. But only grace can wrap its arms around our motives and change why we do what we do. So may Titus 2, 11 through uh, 14 be, uh, chapter 2, 11, verse, uh, verse 11 through 14 be true of us, our last verse. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Grace that comes to all men. That's Jesus at the cross for offering life to all, salvation. And then that same grace as the subject, as the verse continues in verse 12, may grace teach us, the Christian now, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So what motivates us, what leads us in our Christian life, it's not law, and it's not performance, but it's grace. Undeserved favor and God's relationship with you and your place and identity in him stirs us up. And therefore, we can be looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So in the past, Christ gives us eternal life at the cross. Then we have daily Christian life, grace, teaching, and leading us. And we can look for the future, the blessed hope and glorious appearing. And he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, the verse goes on, and purify him for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. And there is what the Lord would want to do. Good works, which is fruit, and it gives uh, glory, and it gives honor to Jesus Christ as he works through us through his grace. So mothers and others, you are not condemned for any of the reasons we mentioned at the beginning. Not one. So may you enjoy your day without a condemnation headache. And the opposite of condemnation is knowing that you will not be stuck in the ruts. And based on Romans 8.1, you are not stuck in the rut or defined by your condemnation labels. You are who God says you are. And all Christians, we are in a place of life and love and hope in Christ. So may you allow that to stir you up to love and good works and be a peculiar people zealous of good works today. Let's pray. Father, we stand in awe of how amazing your grace really is. Teach us to better understand our position and our union in you. Better understand what you say is true of us and the labels you put upon us. And may we enjoy our walk with you. We, we have it so good, and we thank you for all of it. Thank you how we need not have condemnation headaches. Thank you, Father, that we can just pray for the mothers and their, show appreciation for them and even real hope that they realize that they can enjoy their day regardless of any of the complications. 
And finally, we pray for any who don't know for sure beyond all doubt that they have eternal life and have a position in Christ. May they be persuaded by your word today and your promise that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And that him is Jesus Christ. Thank you that his death and resurrection secures that fully for any who claim it by faith. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Until next time, remember that where the Spirit of God is, there is always hope.